Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again this Sunday morning. Um, thanks, Roxanne, for worship and leading us this morning in reflective worship. And um, thanks to Joel for uh, leading the service as well. Um, today, we come to the last psalm in our small series um, of the first seven psalms. And um, I was reflecting this week when I was preparing, I was thinking, who knew that we could learn so much from just a few psalms? Um, and we've also come to the end of our psalm a day for 50 days. And, and how good was it? Was it um, I really enjoyed it. And um, I know that we've asked a few times and we've seen online on Facebook a, a few comments but I hope you have too. How good was it to be able to just every day have that rhythm of reading a psalm and um, hearing God speak to us through that as well and encourage us. You know, we don't have to finish. This week when I filmed a little clip, I said there's another hundred psalms. And, and if you wanted to, you could easily continue on. If you jump online, there's lots of resources for that sort of stuff. But if I could summarize really simply and really basically the, the last few weeks of the first, the first six psalms that we've gone through, what we've seen is that there is a way, um, and it was called the law of the Lord in the first psalm, for us to live by. And so it begins opening a way for us to live by. And then we met the Lord of that way, the one who designed that way. And then we see that life, um, including sleep and journeys and fights and ups and downs and fears and victories and relationships, um, we all see, we've seen that they're all lived out in the presence of that Lord of the way. Um, and in the presence of his way, he guides us, doesn't he? And David's shown us bits of that already in these few psalms, in the first six psalms. But if you've been reading with us every day, the picture's been much bigger too. Um, it's been a real gift indeed to read all the Psalms. Because as we read the first, uh, read, as we preached rather through the first six or seven Psalms, and today's the seventh Psalm, um, they've given us a, a kind of a foundation. But the Psalms we've read during the week have just built in a whole lot more detail. And we've, seen, we've seen so much more of David, haven't we? And of the other Psalm writers. So let's look at today's psalm. Let's read Psalm 7 together. It'll be on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, it's always good to have them open, and uh, whether that's on a phone or a reel, and, and have a read along. So I'm going to read Psalm 7. Have a read with me. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I've done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I've repaid my friend with evil or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. 
And may you establish righteousness, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow and has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and he's pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and then falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. That's Psalm 7. And just for a moment, the Psalms are are a strange thing. They're great, and as I've just said, they're fantastic, and they're enjoyable. But sometimes for a teacher or a preacher, they can be a little frustrating at times too. Uh, there's, there's, there's layers, and as you open a psalm and as you begin to peel, there's more. Or there's something different, or it goes deeper and deeper. And, and there's more meaning, and then there's more connections and more other scriptural connections. And it reminds me a little bit of those, I don't know if you know, if you've ever seen these things, but those Russian babushka dolls, where you lift one doll off, a beautiful, beautifully decorated doll off, just to see another one. And you lift that one off and there's another one, and it just keeps on going. And the Psalms can be a little like that. There's, there's layers of beauty as you dig deeper, and layers of different connections. They're rich with meaning. They're rich with encouragement and correction and learning and teaching. They're rich, as I said, with other scriptural connections. We can find other other ways they connect to other scriptures. And they've got many messages, many angles and many applications. And so that's wonderful because they're a rich, rich treasure. But as a teacher, sometimes it's a little frustrating because they're also supernatural. They're not just like a babushka doll or something like a great book that has many layers. These are supernatural and they speak into and continually speak newly into life all the time. Yet at the same time, they're also really simple, aren't they? It's just there. Sometimes the message is just there. And that first doll is also important. It's also beautiful. And the challenge as a preacher is to feel like you always have to go deeper, um, that you might miss the real or, or, the, best or the, the best meaning or the most profound meaning. And, and looking at it, you, you know, the obvious can't possibly be it. Yet sometimes it is. When I worked in the motor trade, um, we had what was called a bit of the mechanic's curse. You had a car come in and someone would bring a car in and say it's not running well and it would be, you know, if it was a really expensive and really late model with heaps of technology on it and it wasn't running well, you could spend hours looking for that, uh, looking for that problem thinking, wow, this is really advanced, this is a really expensive car, there must be something really, really, really complicated wrong. Only to find after a few hours that there's a wire off somewhere. Or there's a spark plug lead that's not connected. You know, and sometimes 
that can be a little bit the same with the word. Sometimes we can, we can look for layers that are there because remember, it's supernatural, it isn't a car. But sometimes it's just there. The truth is right there. So in preparing for Psalm 7, I had notes everywhere and I would read another commentator and of course reading Spurgeon. You've got to read Spurgeon. That's wonderful. That's worth reading. But I felt like God kept pushing me back to the simple message that he has here for us today. The simple message of Psalm 7 is for some of us today. Uh, maybe it could be just for one of us. If so, it's still important. And so I want to see that today. Psalm 7, uh, like, like many of the other Psalms, is very real, very practical. And we can actually apply it to our lives, like actually apply it to our lives today, right now. And, and I hope we get to see that a little bit. And I hope you uh, see that. I hope that God speaks to you through some of what we see in the Psalm. Psalm 7 might remind you a little bit of Psalm 3 uh, in the way that David's calling on him to save him um, from an enemy or from a pursuer. Uh, it might remind you of, of Psalm 3 where David calls on God to be his refuge as well and to take care of his enemies. You know, deal with my enemies, Lord. Like many of the other Psalms in Psalm 7, we're not exactly sure when it was written or what was actually going on. Um, there are probably two potential, two probably leading uh, potential ideas around that. Um, and they would be that David is either running still from, this, this could be about Absalom, running from Absalom, or back running from Saul when he was still running away from Saul. We're not exactly sure, but this is the situation. You know, you might see at the start, it says, um, a Shigian of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, the Benjamite. We don't really get to find out much more about this Cush guy. But he was a Benjaminite. And as I said last week, the tribe of Benjamin looked at David as an imposter, as someone that was stealing the, the rights of kingship away from their tribe, away from the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of Judah. And so this guy, Cush, most commentators agree, would have been, perhaps he was a confidant of King Saul or someone that would have told lies about David to Saul um, or to uh, the leaders in, in the tribe of Benjamin to go after David, to attack him, because he was stealing the kingship from them. And so he would, um, this Cush would, would, dob him in, as it were, and would, would tell, tell lies about him. And he might say to Saul, he might have been saying to Saul, Saul, this guy is actually after your throne. You've got to watch out. And as we know, Saul got more and more insecure later in his kingship. And those words would have, would have come in on him and made him quite fearful and scared. He, brought, he would have brought false accusations against David. And these kind of false accusations had um, really serious potential conse consequences. And it scared David. You can see that. You know, the, the consequences here, for, the consequences for treason aren't just you naughty boy. Um, there's potential death here. There is pa a painful death physically uh, as well. And we can see that the, the fear in, in the first few verses, Oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart rending it in pieces with none to deliver. 
That's really, that's language. I'm scared. This, this could happen. Something bad could happen here. He's justly scared and he's more than a little bit worried. He's been accused of something, treason, and he can't defend himself. You know, he, he's, he's out and, and, and the lies being told to the king, he can't defend himself against. And people are believing it. You know, people, are, particularly in the tribe of Benjamin, and people, when David's not around to defend himself, there are people beginning to believe it. And they're not believing him. And he's being pursued. And no one, it seems, will listen to David. He can't just front up and say, hey guys, I didn't do it. He can't just do that. Uh, and we know that he's running. Um, and if we look at the... Um, uh, if we look even back at Psalm 3, we can see that, that, those accu- that he ran from accusations a lot of time. The people even chased him, accusing him. Do you remember the, the young guy we talked about, Shimei, that chased him for days, you know, yelling at him and accusing him and calling him a traitor and, and all sorts of names? For David, this must have been hugely frustrating at the least. It must have been burning up inside him. It's just wrong. It's unjust. I am not plotting against the king. Um, I am, I, I'm not plotting treason. I am not trying to undermine anybody. It must have really been hard for him to not be able to defend himself. And must have felt so unjust. Like, what can I do here? Um, maybe you can feel that too. Maybe as I tell the story and as you think about David running and not being able to defend himself, you can feel it. I've got a little movie clip here for you to have a look at. And this young guy's face shows that feeling. Just have a look at that for a moment. It is ordered, adjudged, and decreed that the trial testimony of Ralph Myers is not found to have been perjured testimony. And no new trial shall be granted at this time. Walter McMillan shall be returned to Holman Correctional Facility where he is to face death by electrocution. Can't do this to us again, Judge. Sit down, young man. John. This is my dad, sir. John, I want you to sit down now. He ain't do nothing wrong. Listen to your father. Not here. He ain't do nothing wrong. Sit down right now, or you'll be arrested for contempt of court. Hey, judges, give me one second, please, Judge. Hold on, one second. I won't say it again. Sit down. Not if you're gonna kill my dad for no reason. Not if you're gonna kill my dad for no reason. He ain't do nothing wrong. You killing my family, sir! You killing my family, sir! You! Judge! Judge, he's not resisting! Judge! He's not How'd that make you feel? Did you see his face? Did you see his face quivering and, and, and his mouth moving like the frustration he had? I didn't want to go and see that movie. That movie's called Just Mercy and, and it came out earlier this year, I think, or I didn't really want to go and see it because I get frustrated and angry at the injustice. Um, it's, it's centered around 
a man that's imprisoned unjustly. Uh, he's, he's an African-American and there's a lot of uh, racism going on and, and the whites seem to be all colluding in the law and the police and even society against him. And when I see that sort of stuff, I get frustrated and I get angry as well. And so I can, I can feel what this young, the son of the guy in prison is feeling. And there's a hint here, there's a whole other sermon here. How must God feel when he's accused unjustly? We see that today all the time, don't we? Have you ever felt anything like that, even mildly? Like, ah, you know... Have you ever felt like it's unjust or against yourself or, or that you can't defend yourself? It has, you know, maybe it was around gossip or, or someone talking about you to other people and you've not had a chance to defend yourself or someone misunderstanding your actions and words and, and talking about it, misconstruing perhaps what you meant or, or, or who you are. Maybe it's someone accusing you of doing something that you didn't do and you can't defend yourself because no one's listening. And you don't, you're not able to stand up against it. Or someone believes the worst or, or a lie about you or, or believes badly of you or misinterprets something. You know, sometimes I reflect on myself when I'm asking these questions. And sometimes in leadership and in, 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 even in a church, people, and, and even in family, and that people that can mistrust your motives for a decision because it might not align with theirs and, and, you, make it, and, you, and you can't defend yourself. Or you know something and you've made a decision because you know something that you can't share with someone else, but it doesn't look like the decision is great and you can't defend yourself. Maybe it's those who persecute us or oppress us in some ways because of our belief in God. And, and that could be at a personal level in, in relationships or look at the world around us, look at our, our nation and um, the oppression or the beginning oppression or the beginning disdain at those who worship God or believe in God. And then sometimes, and we've seen this in the life of David, haven't we? And sometimes it's your own conscience falsely accusing you. The enemy, we call that condemnation. It's that accusation that you just can't seem to rise up against. And that can hurt and scare and damage you as well. There's nothing worse than the feeling of guilty until proven innocent. We know that the right way is that you're innocent until proven guilty. But when you can't defend yourself, and in David's case, it's a kind of a feeling of guilty until proven innocent. And the worst thing is you can't prove yourself innocent. That's how David felt. The sheer lack of control, that sheer frustration. Why won't they listen? So if that's the situation, and we've painted a pretty bleak picture here, what does David do? Well, we know practically from reading the Psalms, we know that he runs and hides. We know that you've got to take, he had to take action practically. He did not want to die. Um, and that's not something he was aiming to do. And so he runs and he hides and he lives in caves and he has men on lookouts to have a look whether Saul is coming. Or in the case of Absalom, if that's the story, he had lookouts for that as well. But his heart is hurting too, isn't it? Because he hasn't undermined the king and he's kind of, his heart's a little bit broken about that. In fact, we know that he actually even spared King Saul a couple of times, don't we? We've seen stories where he could have taken Saul's life and ascended to the throne, but he didn't do it. He didn't want to raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. So he's feeling a little bit wounded. I'm trying to do the right thing here. I'm trying to honor the king and, and, and you guys are mistrusting me. And it's also physically scary. 
but his integrity has taken a hit unjustly. And so he does a few things, doesn't he? And I just want to run quickly through them and see if and how we could apply them to our lives. Remember, we need to see that this psalm, whilst full of spiritual insights, can be really practical as well. So we're going to be quite practical in our application today. So let's have a look at the first two verses, and I'll read them again. And this is where we see David takes refuge in God. He says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces. So in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. I'm going to choose to take refuge in you. Save me. You don't ask someone to save you unless you think they can. Practically, save me from my pursuers and for his heart. I want to take refuge in you, God, for my heart. And did you see that language? You know, they tear my soul. That's kind of really painful language. I'm really hurting in my heart. This psalm acknowledges that refuge is a real need when false accusations can bring practical and physical consequences and even when our hearts hurt. Sometimes it's cost us time. In David's case, it was going to perhaps cost his physical safety and, and, and some emotional pain and being wounded and being misunderstood. But sometimes there's a cost to our uh, accusations that we face as well. Sometimes it's time or it's money or it could be a loss of reputation or a loss of status or, or not feeling like you're being listened to anymore. And when we read this language, we think, wow, David, that's really, really uh, intense language, isn't it? Um, and perhaps, and some commentators have even said, maybe David's being overdramatic there about the tears my soul. We know that um, the physical or, or the practical implications of, of um, David being accused were real. And, and in those days it was. It's beheading. It's, it's a painful death. But David makes a lot about the emotional pain that he feels about being misunderstood. And some commentators would say that David's probably being a bit overdramatic. Charles Spurgeon said this when, when they suggested, when someone suggested to him that David was being overdramatic for false accusation. He said, and this should be on the screen for you, Truly, this is not an overdrawn picture. For the wounds of a sword will heal, but the wounds of the tongue cut deeper than the flesh. And they are not soon cured. Slander leaves a slur, even if it be wholly disproved. Common fame and a common liar has very many believers. And once a slanderous word gets into men's mouths, it's not easy to get it fully out again. You understand what he's saying? That sometimes, even if you prove yourself right, even if you do get a chance to defend yourself, there's still something out there that people never trust you again. And we know stories like that, don't we? And David knows that, and that's why he hurts. But, you know, these things happen. And in times like that, uh, our tendency is to look for someone who understands, to someone who knows how it feels. You know what you do? You, you find that close friend, and, and you have a chat to them, and, and you, just, you tell them how it feels. And you, you say, look, I'm being wronged, and, and I feel like I'm falsely accused, or I'm being misunderstood. And that's okay. People Going to people, sure. 
But we need to first go to God. And the message here that David first goes, I mean, he's got all these men around him and these men are rebels. These men are anti-establishment people. And they would have been a great source of David just complaining and saying, we believe you, let's go and fight. And sometimes it's okay to speak to people, but David's saying we need to first go to God. We need to seek refuge in him. And we need to seek refuge in Jesus. Because if anyone knows, Jesus knows what it feels like to be falsely accused, doesn't he? Hebrews says that Jesus, our high priest, knows what it feels like. You know, in that section of Hebrews, where we have a high priest that, that understands the context we live in, that has lived through things, has experienced it, and has sympathy, is not un- unsympathetic to the things that we feel. This psalm saying to us that God knows, God is our refuge. He is a safe refuge. He's not some pie in the sky thing that you, you can't access. It's practical and it's emotional. So the first thing that we understand is we need to take refuge in God. Go to God with the things that are on our heart when we're misunderstood. Then we see David opens himself up to allow God to judge the accusation. There's a, there seems to be a specific accusation here um, in, the, in verses 3, 4 uh, and 5. Um, let's have a look at those. Actually, let's read um, verses 5 to 6. Uh, three, no, 5 to 6. David says this, Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake me, for you have appointed a judgment. And if we look a little bit earlier, we can see that David says, but if I, if I did this, if I actually did that and I'm wrong, and if I have repaid my friend with evil, he's talking about Saul here, or plundered my enemy without cause, then he says that in verse 5, let, let, him, let him have his way with me then. You see, David opens himself up to allow God to judge the accusation, to allow God to look at him and then let God be his defender. He's open before God. He knows that he sins. Um, He's not sin-free. And so many psalms show us that. And even this week, if you remember the psalms of this last week in the reading, we've seen many times where David's cast himself on the mercy of God. But in this instance, he knows that he's not. For us in life, people wrong us and sin against us. That's life. But it's important to be willing to see if or whether or where we might have been wrong ourselves. And and that's what David's doing here. God, I just want to be open before you. You know, if I've done this, if there's been wrong in me in this situation. It can be easy, in my experience anyway, to be self-righteous or even self-justifying in those circumstances. And like David, we also need to allow God to just examine us and just check our hearts in the situation we might find ourselves in. And David says, if I am wrong, then I deserve what's coming. But if I'm not, and in this case he knows he isn't, then he says, God, you know, arise, Lord, in your anger. God, defend me. You be my defender. He asks God to be his defender. Remember, he's surrounded by all these warriors that would, in a minute, at the click of a finger, 
that would go and do whatever he wanted. But he says, God, you be my defender. You know, I can often sit at my desk or at home when something like this comes up in my life and I'll get frustrated and I'll try to figure out how do I defend myself? How do I prove myself? How do I justify myself? How do I, you know, I don't believe this is, this is right. How do I convince people that I'm right? How do I justify myself? Do you ever do that? Do you ever sit and wonder and think, oh, I've been misunderstood or they're misunderstanding my motives or I've been misrepresented and, and how can I defend myself? How can I prove that I'm right? Or I wonder, how can I make other people see the errors of their ways? Have you ever thought like that? Or worse, how can I expose them to be wrong so that they have egg on their face and, and I look good? And now everyone can see that you're wrong and, and I was right all along. It's a little bit vengeful, actually, right? Or is that just me? It, sometimes we do that, don't we? A good friend once said to me, an old friend um, that I had for many years, he said to me, learn to let God be your defender. He has way better timing, way more power, and way more wisdom. David knows this, and David says, God, you arise in your anger. You defend me. You know what matters not what others think, but what God does. And that's why we go to God first. We ask him to examine us, and if we're right, it matters that God knows we're right. Not what others know, but what God knows. And it does us good to rest in that, as hard as that can be sometimes. So we see that we need to be open and honest before God, and then let him defend us. And if we go on, we can see that David declares that God is a righteous judge and that because of that, he's going to side with this righteous judge. He's going to side with God because God saves the upright in heart. And verses 8 to 11, if you have a look at that, um, read with me there. Verse 8, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that's in me. I let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Isn't that interesting? A God who feels indignation every day. How many times must God see when false accusations not just come against him, but come against those that he loves? In that little clip that I showed you, what did you think of the judge? Did you see the judge where he kept on saying, be quiet, young man? Uh, It's hard to tell if you haven't seen the movie, I know. But that judge was not righteous. There was an agenda going on there, as I explained to you before, and he was part of that agenda. He was part of not accepting the fact that we could even look at the innocence of a black man. If he's black, he's guilty. And also, even if he isn't guilty, there's an agenda. Even if he isn't guilty, because we put him in prison, we would not look good if we exonerated him now. So we're not going to do that. There was an agenda there and he was part of it. And you see, in that instance, the accused man needed a righteous judge. And David needed a righteous judge. And so do we. As humans, we're not good judges, are we? Uh, we're not righteous. And you can see that, that in, in the case in point is me. When I, looked, when I told you about how you can 
get really vengeful and try to you know, make it right yourself. We're not righteous. My righteousness is often eclipsed by my vindictiveness. Or I might have an agenda myself. A righteous judge saves the upright in heart. David says that, doesn't he? But wait, I'm not always upright in heart. But nor was David, was he? Why would David say that in verse 8? He said, the Lord judges the peoples and judge me according to my righteousness. And then in verse 10, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Why would David do that? He knew that he wasn't always upright and righteous. And I know, and you know, that you're not always upright and righteous. So if God only saves, what's David saying there? You see, David believed God for his righteousness. And we often see that. And if you've been reading the Psalms, you've often seen his we see his confession, his recognition of sin, his surrender, his willingness to be open before God. Even in these last Psalms of 50 days, we've seen so much of that. You see, David's actions weren't always upright, but his heart was. In fact, God called him a man after his own heart, didn't he? And on that basis, God made him righteous. And that reminds me of someone else. You might remember in Romans where Paul talks about Abraham. You know, and, he, and, he, and that, that line in Romans was, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham himself was not necessarily righteous. He was sinful. David himself was not necessarily righteous. In his actions, he was sinful. But he believed God for his righteousness. He believed that in God he was righteous and God credited that to him as righteousness. You see, God is the only judge that looks past the actions and to the heart. The judge in that movie clip doesn't. I often don't. And human judges, and you might not also. But God looks past the actions and to the heart. And David knew this. And he knows it here, doesn't he? God was his salvation. He gave David the status of righteous. And this judge... He's a judge. He said, you know, you, my shield is with you, God. I, I'm, I'm siding with you. My protection is with you. You can be my shield. Remember in Psalm 3, we talked about where, where David said, you are a shield around me, God. David's been made righteous. And this is a judge who I can trust to be my protection and my shield. Because even though I know my behavior isn't always up to par, he sees my heart. I'm going to side with this judge. You know, our, our hearts also aren't upright in themselves. We were and are under judgment. But Jesus stepped in and gave us his righteousness so that now we too are made righteous. You know, we read in the word that we've been made righteous through Christ. Our actions aren't righteous. We still sin. We still make mistakes. And if we run to the judge and say, you know, judge me according to my righteousness, or if we say something like, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart, we can feel defeated. But we know that Jesus stepped in and that we have been made righteous, that our hearts are upright before God. And we can say, my shield is with God. He saved me and he will defend me. 
God is a good and righteous judge and we can side with him and we can rest in that. We look a bit further and David goes on because David leaves the fate of the accuser to God. You know, when I was talking about myself, where there's a little bit of vengeance there, where you feel like, how can I, how can I make them look bad and make myself look good again? How can I deal with my, my enemy, the accuser? This is what David says, and read with me from verses 12 to 16. If a man doesn't repent, God will wet his sword. He's bent and readied his bow. He's prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil, and he's pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. Basically, <laughs> David leaves the fate of the accuser to God because he'll get his. He's got his coming, you know, and, and it'll happen. And David doesn't need to waste energy and time getting payback or trying to clear his name he understands that he's taken refuge in god he's he's taken refuge in a righteous judge who has who has also cleansed him and made him righteous and he doesn't need to waste his time or energy getting payback false accusers usually fall into the hole they dug for themselves in another story we we see that in in the story of esther don't we where haman built those gallows that he was going to use for um, Mordecai and ends up getting hung on himself. A little bit of a same picture there. So now, like David, we can allow God to deal with those who falsely accuse us. We can let it go. We can let the frustration go. We can let the feelings and the worry and the tension and the fear and, and, and all those emotions in there, we can let that go. We can rest knowing that our rightness being right and not being wrong. Our righteousness is in the hands of a judge who knows best how to take care of the situation and who knows us best, who knows our heart best. We don't need to waste our time and our efforts and our energy on on worry or on trying to regain ground or convincing people or even trying to expose people and, and exact revenge. And that's what we see in the world around us, don't we? We need to be different. We can be different. And like David, we can now give our time to what we should have been doing in the first place. And that's the end of this psalm, isn't it? That's verse 17. Thanks and praise. What does David say? I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness. I will sing praises to the name of the Lord, the Most High. So we can... Let go of, of, of trying to get revenge and, and leave the fate of the accuser up to God and get back. And don't waste our energy. Get back to doing what we should have been doing all along. And what David knows, so this is what I should be doing. I need to give thanks to God and praise him. Honour him. Live for him. Because he is righteous and he's brought us into his righteousness through Christ. He's the most high and he deserves our attention. And we are now captivated by him, not by our accusers. Our righteousness is not of ourselves, but it's a great act of grace from the hands of God. On that basis, we thank him and praise him. That's what drives David's thanks and praise. There's a lot going on here, isn't there? There's there's, there's false accusations. There's there's check my heart, God. But you're a righteous God. And and even though I don't always behave right, you've given me righteousness. You'll take care of my enemies. 
So what's left for me to do but to thank you and praise you and to get back to what I'm designed to do, bring glory to you, whether that's David writing a song. And this is a song. Now, who writes a song when this sort of stuff's going on? Now, we don't know whether he sung it right then and there or this is for people to sing later. Maybe it's both. But David understands at the end that there's a lot going on. But if I rest in God, if I recognize that my righteousness is in him, and if we do that, then we can get back to giving thanks and praise to God. We can get back to living our lives for his glory. You know, I said at the start that this psalm is really practical, very applicable. There's no doubt that there's way more in this psalm and perhaps there's other deep spiritual insights and there are and I've written some notes for some other stuff. But God also uses it to point to very contemporary day-to-day issues that, that you and I have these days, today, and to speak to our hearts in them as well. And it's good for us to see that here. David is in, tr- in trouble, not of his own making, this time. Because he knows God is open. Because he knows God, he's open and he takes refuge in him. He lets God take up the fight and he's left to thank and praise him. But he also knows that sometimes his trouble is of his own making. And he acknowledges that his righteousness is not in himself, but it's in God. It comes from the mercy of God. That God makes him righteous. And that drives his thanks and praise. Isn't that the truth in our lives? Isn't that true for you and me also? Sometimes, like today's psalm, we're falsely accused. We've not been in the wrong. We haven't done anything wrong. God is a righteous judge and will defend us. We can find our refuge and our protection, our shield in him and and, and allow him to fight for us. But I'm not always upright. You're not always upright. I'm not always righteous. Yet God made me and you righteous too through Jesus. God is a righteous judge And the price of my sin and your sin had consequences and has consequences. But 2 Corinthians tells us this, doesn't it? That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Him being Jesus. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you see that? We had sin, but God made him who had no sin be sin for us. Take our sin upon him. So that in him we might become righteous. I think that David had an inkling of that and understood that a little bit. He laid our sin, our unrighteousness on Jesus and now our shield, our protection from eternal death is with him. That's worth thanking and praising. So we, like David, can get back to doing what we're supposed to do with our life. Don't waste our energy on worry and fear and, and defending ourselves and Use our energy on bringing praise and glory to God, thanks to God, and living life in that way, bringing more and more people into the kingdom. What a gift these psalms have been for us. Joel sharing them with us, Glenn sharing them with us, the daily readings we've been able to do. What an absolute gift these last 50 days have been. What a privilege It's been to engage with God in this way and see him grow us, encourage us, mature us and and reveal his heart to us in so many ways. I hope that they've been a gift to you and I hope that even today that you've seen that 
God is a great, great refuge for us. He's a very righteous judge. He loves us, cares for us, and calls us to bring him thanks and praise. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for um, today's psalm, but we want to thank you for all of them. We want to thank you most of all that they give us a window into your heart, into your passion for us, into your care for us, into your, your, your wisdom, into your desires for us, and even into your desires for the world around us. Lord, we want to thank you that they also show us who you are. They give us confidence in you. They, they show us how faithful you are. They show us how, how strong you are. They show us how loving you are. And they show us that we belong to you. And Lord, thank you that they release us into thanks and praise, that they release us into living lives that even through our actions thank you and praise you for who you are and who you made us to be. And Lord, I pray that as we hear these things, as we read these things, that we would allow them to sink into, to, to soak into our heart. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds to allow the truth to invade our hearts and minds. So that like David, we can turn around, um, love you for what you've done and give you thanks and praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.